Hey folks, this is the Lakers Legacy Podcast, and we are proud to announce a partnership collaboration with a brand new podcast app. If you're looking for a new way to listen to podcasts that's a lot more interactive and fun, well, look no further than the Cooler Podcast Player on the Apple Store. The Cooler Podcast Player is essentially like Reddit, but curated and consolidated per podcast community so that you can join the conversation in a safer, more intimate, and less trolly space than other apps like X. And you can do so with other like-minded Lakers Legacy Podcast listeners. So grab a drink, make your way over to the Cooler, and join the conversation now by downloading the Cooler Podcast Player app. Make sure to add the Lakers Legacy to your queue and use the code LITLEGACY, that's L-I-T LEGACY, to join the Lakers Legacy community page and get the discussions going. If you guys have any Q&A mailbag stuff that you want to throw our way, do it there and we'll look at it and bring it up in a future episode. So the cooler podcast player, listen, then speak your mind. All right, welcome everybody to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where Wizards of Waverly Place, more like Wizards of Wavering Playoff Chase, if the Lakers hadn't beat the second worst team in the NBA last night after an epic 21-point comeback versus the Los Angeles Disney Cruise Lines. But thank God the Lakers pulled it off. So move aside, Harry Potter. We don't need any Wizards here. We just need a goat king. And that man's name is Tommy. LeBron James. (laughs) LeBron James is right. I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and I'm joined by my co-host, Tommy Alexander. Tommy, do you remember way back when in 2003 when I told you that this LeBron James guy was good? Well, it's been 21 years since then when we were in middle school and hadn't even met each other yet. But yeah, I was going to say, I don't know if I knew in 2003, <laughs> but it, it was close. Exactly. But it's been 21 years since I fake told you that. And guess what? He's still very good. Do you concur? I concur. Amazing. So after that annoying win against the Wizards last night, the Lakers are fortunately now 33-28. and 28. They are one and a half games out of eighth place in the West, two and a half games out of sixth place, the last time the Lakers were five games above 500, they were 15 and 10, coming right out of the IST championship, having just won against the Spurs. So it has been a long ride back to this point of competency. Hopefully, we can continue to ride the wave. Last night's win against the Wizards was also just the second time all season that the Lakers won both games in a back to back set. We have played 12 back to back sets this year, which is crazy. Uh, the Lakers' new Rui starting lineup is 8-1 and one on the season, and you knew this was coming, Tommy. The Lakers are also 13-0 and 0 when Torian Prince plays below 24 and a half minutes. Analytics! Analytics, indeed. 
So Tommy, last night's game against the Wizards was unnecessarily annoying. They it went into overtime. Jordan Poole almost gave us a the shock of our lives. Um, but Anthony Davis was phenomenal. 40 points, 15 rebounds. Austin Reeves was amazingly clutch late. He was him. And LeBron James busted out the heroics at the end as well with some key defensive stops and his patented Le Fuck You 3 against Kyle Kuzma. But we have to start here and talk about the epic Clippers comeback first. Um, yeah, what was your visceral gut reaction to watching that game? Because I know you didn't watch it live. The Lakers were down 19 points in the fourth quarter to the Clippers. Uh, we looked dead in the water. People were turning their TVs off and saying they were done with the Lakers. Um, but LeBron James went on a heater, turned things around. D'Angelo Russell and Rui Hachimura joined him in the clutch heroics. And the Lakers ended up becoming the first team in the last 866 games of this exact situation to come back down from 19 points. In total or the highest point total that they were down by was 21 points. LeBron James outscored the Clippers himself 21 to 16 in the fourth. So I know you were at Disneyland that day and had to catch the game on replay late at night. What the hell was going on in your head as the game was transpiring at probably 11 o'clock your time? And if you didn't throw up on the Incredicoaster at Disneyland, were you throwing up on the ride the Lakers were putting you through then? Yeah, so I almost threw up on the uh, ride the Lakers put me through. But <laughs> I think, so yeah, you, you mentioned I was at Disneyland all day, didn't look at the score. I mean, we left around probably the time the game started. So I knew the game was happening. And, you know, you and I had been texting earlier in the day and you were like, Paul George is out, Zubats is out. Are the Lakers going to take advantage? And I said, like, probably no. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that's kind of like what I expected, right? I mean, I know we were two and one against the Clippers this year. Like, so unlike other years, we were at worst going to be guaranteed tying the season series. We weren't going to get swept. We weren't going to lose again um, the season series with them. So I, we had that to fall back on, but it's still an important game. We're obviously positioning for playoff seating. I mean, we're positioning to make at this time, it, at this point, it seems like we're probably going to make the play in at least um, because of the separation happening with the 11 and 10 positions. But, you know, we obviously are positioning to try to get out of the play in and, and avoid that situation. Um, so it's an important game and, you know, you're kind of watching it and it's exactly how you think the it's going to go based on like the Lakers, like latest output. It's like the Clippers were super like we're playing undermanned and we're super amped up. Um, they were playing with a high amount of energy in the first uh, first half. It was a home game for them. You know, we were hanging around, hanging around a little bit, like within striking distance. But every time it felt like we got it down to 10 or 9, they would just extend it back to 19, right? It was like one of those situations where you see like, you feel like it's same story. Uh, you know, we've seen the story a million times. Um, I was definitely one of the people, especially after a long day at Disneyland, who thought, you know... When we're down 21 points uh, with 11 and a half minutes to go in the fourth quarter, I'm like, okay, that's uh, time for me to just go to sleep and get some rest <laughs> after this long day. And so I'm like, I'll just, I'll, you know, let's just see what I'll give it a couple minutes in, in the beginning of the fourth and then I'll, and then I'll just call it. 
And then, like, shortly after that, LeBron started hitting a couple threes and made it a little, you know, it's a, then it's down to 15. And I'm like, all right. And then I'm like, what if he tries to pull a, his version of a Max Struess tonight? And then, you know, <laughs> they, they come back down and he hits another three in front of Ty Lu and, you know, starts, like, looking like he's he's getting pretty hot. So I'm like, all right, whatever. Well, Ty Lu, of course, better coach than Darvin. So he called the timeout to kill the momentum. Um, I'm looking at the timeouts. The Clippers are beating us by double digits, and they have, like, two timeouts left, and we have, like, eight. Because, <laughs> like, Darvin refuses to call timeouts to stop runs. Um, but anyway, you know, obviously from there, everybody knows what happened, and it was just crazy. I'm really glad I stuck around to... Uh, to keep watching and um and yeah it was just a really really good win um they handled that team all of those guys who were putting up numbers in the first half like Harden you know they did a great job on him in the fourth Kawhi LeBron's physicality defensively on him was a huge factor I actually feel like this is the first time and you know since the Clippers got Kawhi and Paul George that we actually match up decently well with them um yeah, I don't. I still don't want to play them in the playoffs if we can avoid it because they still have Kawhi and Harden and Paul George. But I feel like we actually match up decently well um, with that team. So it, it, yeah, really, really good game. Epic performance by LeBron and and really all the guys stepped up and and Rui, D'Lo, like everybody had amazing fourth quarters. Yeah, and we'll get into more of the specifics of the game and especially LeBron James as well. But yeah, that was a huge statement win game kind of like that Boston game, doesn't it feel like we're always teetering on the edge of this season is absolutely over or, okay, we can do something with this season? (laughs) Because Yeah, it always feels like that. Yeah, when the Boston game happened and we heard that LeBron James and Anthony Davis wouldn't play, we're like, man, the momentum is so bad right now. The vibes are terrible. They're going to lose this game and we're going to continue to spiral. It felt like that against the Clippers last night because we we had come out of the All-Star break, lost to the Warriors, won a meaningless game against the Spurs. Not meaningless, but we we beat the Spurs, which we were supposed to do. And then we lost again to the Phoenix Suns, who didn't have Bradley Beal. And it kind of felt like the post-IST championship malaise, right? And I was like, oh, here we go. We were, All the momentum that we built up entering into the All-Star break, we're just going to lose it and look at how lackluster we look against the Clippers in spite of the fact that they don't have Zubats and Paul George. And yeah, this is just how the season is going to end. And then LeBron James said, to hell with that, I'm going to carry the day, and somehow we are now, what, in the month of February, the Lakers are now 9-3, and three. and yeah, we're still in the race, we're very much in the race, and we're five games above 500, so that was a huge, hopefully momentum-shifting game and win, and hopefully one that continues to galvanize the team. In a lot of ways, it felt like the Mavericks' 27-point comeback on the road last season when... LeBron James went down with a foot injury. We thought all was lost. And then he was like, I'm going to keep playing. And then Vanderbilt injected us with some much needed life and went crazy. And we somehow pulled that win off. This time we did it to the newly rebranded Clippers cruise ships, sending them packing out of crypto and into the Intuit Dome in the most hilarious of fashions, reminding them in the most audible of ways that this was always the Lakers home court because man, was that crowd very loud. And it was so funny that D'Angelo Russell, after hitting that clutch no-dip three, turned around and hushed the Lakers crowd. I don't, I don't know who he was hushing. Really. Yeah, I feel like he didn't know what to do on that one because he was like, because <laughs> everyone cheered and he like got confused and he was like, Shh, wait, sorry, what? 
<laughs> yeah, so um yeah, that Clippers game. Tommy, where does where does the Clippers game rank in terms of biggest statement wins of the season? Because we have a couple. We obviously have the no LeBron slash A D Lost Boys win in Boston where Austin Reeves and D'Lo took over. We have the double overtime thriller versus Curry and the Warriors in San Francisco. And then we had last night's 21-point comeback fueled by LeBron going Super Saiyan. How would you rank all three of those? I I mean, the Clippers is definitely top two. The Boston one, I maybe put away a little bit. It was a fun win, but it, it you know, that's like, we've seen that story a hundred times where like, the the stars aren't playing and everybody else takes their foot off the gas. So like it was cool to, to beat Boston in that game, but who knows? It's one of those situations where maybe AD and LeBron play and it's a different intensity level from Boston. But I think the Clippers one is definitely up there this season because, you know, they were without Paul George, but they still had Kawhi. They still had James Harden. They always go all out against us. They like, I, you know, it's clearly there's like this cross town or I guess within town rivalry. And and I feel like uh, it, it's never an easy matchup against those guys, and and to to beat them three one this season when they're a four seed and we're a nine seed, I think is is pretty impressive. Yeah, I actually still put the Boston win like right up there, if not number one, just because it's against Boston, and at that time, right before the trade deadline. I honestly feel like D'Angelo Russell saved himself in terms of not getting traded. Uh, he, he saved himself all of January, but I felt like that was the statement game for him where it's like, without LeBron James, without Anthony Davis, I'm struggling to shoot the ball, but I still got like 14 assists and then hit this clutch three. Austin Reeves reminds everybody that he is him. Like for those two guys in particular, I felt like they saved their season as it pertains to not getting traded and staying Lakers. And that kind of helped I felt like it also mentally helped remind Anthony Davis and LeBron James of what this team is capable of, you know? So that's why I place more importance on the Boston win, even in spite of the, everything that you said in terms of Boston playing down to the level of their competition. Um, but yeah, I would definitely have this Clippers win like right after that, if not number one as well. Um, so I have a kind of, not to put a wet blanket thought on on these last two nights, although I don't, I, I think everybody's pretty annoyed by the Wizards game, but not to put a wet blanket over the Clippers win, but I felt like in some ways, I don't know how you feel about this, but I felt like getting the win versus the Clippers kind of swept a lot of problems under the rug. And I felt like that win was kind of, it, it, it's, it was indicative of this season with Darvin Ham being clueless for much of the game, getting out coached for much of the game, the players looking lackluster, the players looking like they don't know what the game plan is, they're looking like they've given up on Ham. And it was just LeBron James and D'Angelo Russell, Rui Hachimura, some of the players that Darvin Ham has mistreated, bailing him out at the end of the day. And it's funny because D'Angelo Russell for the first three quarters of that Clippers game was largely non-existent because he was being parked out on the perimeter without the ball, you know? And yes, there were very specific things that Darvin Ham did in the fourth quarter defensively, um, allowing LeBron James and D'Angelo Russell to play that fourth quarter and allowing D'Angelo Russell to get the ball a little bit more. There were like micro things that he did, obviously, that he deserves credit for. But taking a zoom out approach in the macro, I felt like... That Clippers win just, 
I don't want to say overshadowed a lot of problems, but it, it, it was like a bad process game that turned turned out well in, in the Lakers' favor. So I just want to say I, I feel like there's still a lot of work to do and a lot to sort out. Very thankful for the win. Very thankful for the last two wins. Um, it's It was very much needed given how tough our schedule is moving forward, even in spite of the fact that we'll be in California for the next like three weeks. But I guess on that thought, how are you feeling in general about the Lakers in spite of the last two wins? And are you feeling positive or, or what? We'll get into the specifics, but in general, how do you feel? Overall, I feel pretty good, but I understand where you're coming from. I mean, if you look at the last three games before the All-Star break, we beat the Pelicans by 17, we beat the Pistons by 14, and we beat the Jazz on the road by 16 on the second night of a back-to-back. So we were beating teams, you know what I mean? And obviously going into the break, we had won six out of seven. Um, and, you know, you go back even further. I don't know. I can't do the math fast enough in my head. But we were we were playing really well, right, going into the All-Star break. Coming out of the All-Star break, we lose to Golden State. We got kind of stomped. LeBron didn't play. I guess you shrug and move on. It took like a whole team collective, very strong effort to beat one of the worst teams in the NBA in San Antonio, the the game you went to, right? And yeah, Wemby had like an amazing night, but we beat that team by five points. Then we play Phoenix on the road without Bradley Beal and we lose by double digits, but it just never really felt like we had a chance. We beat the Clippers in a huge come from behind. We were down by 20. We beat the Wizards, one of the, you know tied for the worst team in the in the NBA and overtime we were down by double digits at some point in that game. So like it, it like to your point it does not like yeah we have wins against uh, post all-star break we're now 3 and 2 but two of the three wins are against two of the worst teams in the NBA and they were not like easy wins where we got to like rest LeBron and AD and like you know not really exert that hard like I mean Cam Reddish got injured in the game that's like his guys had to play so you know so it's like those are the things you kind of don't want and you know it was such an emotional win so the Washington game it's hard to kind of shrug it off but it's the overall you know the overall trend I guess of how this team's energy level level has looked post all-star all-star game has not been great um so far yeah and it's taken, obviously, very Herculean efforts by LeBron James and Anthony Davis to eke out some close wins, you know? So uh, we'll see if that'll continue. Hopefully some things get sorted out. But I'm not encouraged with how Darvin Ham has once again been placed into this situation of having to juggle multiple players and not being sure who to play because they're like, it's almost, it's almost worse that Darvin Ham has more healthy players uh, to work with because you just know that he's probably going to throw out the wrong lineups and it'll take him time to figure out what the most intuitive common sense lineup is to, to place out there. But glad and very thankful for both of these wins and glad that the Lakers are somehow five games above 500. Before we take it to break, Tommy, let's talk about the LeBron takeover. Um, This guy's 39 years old. He's now nine points away from 40,000 points. He's the oldest to put up 34 points, 40 points, hit seven threes in year 21. Um, he hit, I think he hit like 7 of 11 from 3 versus the Clippers. He joined Austin Reeves and D'Angelo Russell as the only Lakers this season to hit 7 threes in a game. And actually, that's pretty amazing that you have three guys who can just do that on any given night. Yeah, Not any yeah. given night, but I mean, that's still insane. Um, so LeBron James was having a bad 
I felt like a pretty bad game up until that fourth quarter. And he had a team worse, like minus 17 at one point as well. And kind of felt like he was stat padding and pounding the air out of the ball and going off script in the second quarter of that Clippers game. But then obviously the fourth quarter happened and he dug in deep, he locked in, went sicko mode as he likes to say, and the barrage of threes fell fast and quick. Um, The most impressive part to me though was what you mentioned earlier about him taking on the assignment to guard Kawhi Leonard. This is two nights in a row, Tommy, that LeBron James took on the opposing team's best scorer in the clutch and LeBron James absolutely put the clamps down on both of them. Kawhi Leonard versus the Clippers uh, when Kawhi Leonard tried to tie the game. And then Jordan Poole last night when Jordan Poole tried to win the game with like a sidestep, step back three. And yeah, I feel like this is LeBron James ramping up for the playoffs, you know? And it's nice yeah. to see uh, the the weird forays into stat padding aside in the the earlier quarters. But yeah, what are your thoughts on LeBron James heroics these last two games? And just, I mean, even last night versus the Wizards, like the two dunks he had where he's just flying down the lane and switching hands and using his left hand to flush it down, the block that he had on Jordan Poole. I mean, when when LeBron James is also this engaged defensively, I mean, that's when the Lakers really turn into a contending team. And we remember what we did last season and how we got to the Western Conference finals in the first place it's because LeBron James you know turns it up a notch or turns it up a couple notches and for the Clippers game I don't think I remember I don't think I ever remember seeing LeBron that hot from three in that short of a time span I I remember him hitting like six threes in one game but it's kind of been spaced out but in the Clippers game that was the first time I feel like in a Lakers uniform that I've seen LeBron James hit like three or four threes in a row but yeah your thoughts on what LeBron's been doing these last two games it, it's been incredibly impressive. I mean, for his age, like you said, and and, and not just uh, not just the you know not just the numbers at the end of the game, but sort of the way those numbers are coming. Like you said, he did not play that well up until the fourth quarter of the Clippers game, and at thirty nine years old, like he just came on. He played like I think the entire twelve minutes of the of the last quarter in that game, and he just you know came alive. And and you don't expect that for someone at this age certainly we've never seen it before but I think like LeBron has done a good job and I think a better job this year than he I've seen him do in previous years of sort of managing his own scoring with distributing and this is maybe a silly comment to make about this like arguably the best player of all time and like this is what he's known for but I guess as a Laker there have been times where you know he gets in these stretches where she where he hits like seven, three, you know, six, threes, five, threes, he goes on this crazy heater, right? And he's hitting the logo shots at some point that goes away. Okay. Like he's not Steph Curry. And he hit that point in the Clippers game. And instead of forcing the issue, once we got the lead, cause we've seen that story, right? Like we, the Lakers come make this huge comeback scrape, like just barely get the lead with a couple minutes left to go in the fourth. But then LeBron just keeps chucking and we can't, our offense goes stagnant. And then the other team scores five points and wins the game, you know? Yeah. So that, that like almost happened here, but you know, what prevented that LeBron finding Rui for five huge points in the fourth quarter. Like one was the corner three, where he missed the first one, they got the rebound, LeBron hit him again, and then he hit the he hit the second attempt. 
And then another hit to uh, hit to Rui in the corner where he pump faked and drove and hit a reverse layup. D'Lo hit a couple of clutch threes in the like super clutch. Obviously, we have the uh, no no dip no dip all drip uh, three in the corner, yep. um, as as you called it, which was a good name I thought. And and so that one was, you know, it, it just showed like LeBron is trusting his teammates at this stage in the season. That's incredibly, incredibly important because I feel like he did not have necessarily that same level of trust with a a lot of the rotations we were running earlier in the season or, you know, even the rotations we were running last season other than, you know, the the starting five that we're using this year that Mm -hmm. played together last year. So this was about the time last year that, you know, the the nonsense kind of (laughs) cut out. It's March, you know, like, I, I don't know. I wouldn't be that surprised if LeBron played, assuming health, like, you played every game and didn't sit out to rest. I guess I should, I should put it um, for the rest of the season. And I think him and AD see that this is the time. And and when you look at the standings, I mean, with the caveat that like, we're still like very competitive with the Warriors who like, aren't not going away. Um, and they're eight and two in their last 10 games too. You like, we're only three games back of the six seed in the loss column. Um, so we like, you know, you're looking at the teams ahead of us, Sacramento. We play them twice. Okay. So we're only three games behind them in the loss column, but we play them twice. So if we win the head to head, um, we only need to be one game better than them otherwise. Cause I think we would have the tiebreaker. We'd be two, two head to head, but I think we would have the division tiebreaker likely at that point. Matt, Dallas, we don't play again. Who knows what's going to happen with them? The Pelicans, we do play in the season finale. So we're two two games behind that they're three three losses behind them but we only need to be two games better than them otherwise and then if we beat them in the season finale we have the tiebreaker and we win the season series 3-1 so there are paths for us to get up there um and i think it's going to require ad and lebron playing out and i think they probably will try their best to do that yeah, it seems like LeBron is very conscious of the gravity of the moment as evidenced by the last two epic performances. And you bring up a good point about how trusting he was in the Clippers game to once they started doubling to sling the ball to D'Angelo Russell to actually give the ball up to D'Angelo Russell in the first place because that's how he got off ball to get those threes, right? And then once he started hitting a bunch, he then gave it up to D'Lo, gave it up to Rui, um, he did chuck two threes at the end there to try and get the home run, home run win. Um, but yeah, it was it was a sprinkling of taking over and also trusting his teammates, which he also did against the Wizards because Austin Reeves was the guy towards the end that really hit the two biggest buckets to send the game into overtime, right? And then in overtime, that's when LeBron James hit the "la fuck you" three <laughs> in Kyle Kuzma's face and took it home. But yeah, um, LeBron James has been incredible. I have somewhat of a controversial statement, Tommy, on LeBron James. I hope the LeBron stands don't come after me, but I don't know how you feel about this, but I'm kind of glad that he's almost at that 40K milestone and that he'll hit it this Saturday versus Denver, crossing fingers that he stays healthy. But I'm glad that he's going to hit this 40K milestone because while he has been otherworldly in the clutch the last two games, as I intimated earlier, throughout the early parts of the game, I don't think he's necessarily been playing the right way like he is capable of. It feels a bit stat patty, and it feels like he's taking on unnecessarily heavy usage, particularly in the second quarters, maybe to try and put the the teams away or, or whatnot, but 
the reason why he's had to take over in such epic heroic fashions in the fourth quarter these last two games is because in the first half he's kind I don't want to say he's lollygagging around but he's just kind of doing LeBron James things and it doesn't feel like he's as engaged as he would be in the latter parts do you know what I'm saying I know exactly what you're saying and again not to not to go too far down this road but I guess that was sort of the thing about Kobe Bryant teams is you know putting aside the last few years where we were tanking right but like Kobe Bryant teams you didn't you knew that like those guys they didn't always have the best talent right even those championship teams in the late uh 2000s we didn't have the most talent after Kobe and Pau for the through the rest of the roster but those teams were serious and they showed up every day every game to play and that's how we were able to like have those seasons where we won like 60 plus games right so I, I will say this has been like a feature of LeBron teams, certainly as he's gotten like deeper into his career, certainly during his time with us, where it's like it does feel like and I don't know, you can blame a lot of people. You could blame like people always stop or start at the top with the ownership. People blame the coaches. I, I think a lot of this kind of is the team energized and mentally engaged to play the game in front of them that night. I put on the leaders and AD and LeBron, I think. There is a history of this, right, with their time here where these guys just are not are kind of lackadaisical, like in games that they view as like not mattering. Certainly with LeBron at at this point in his career, it's like this doesn't matter to his legacy. It's just another stepping stone to get 40,000 points. So I'm not saying that's how he's viewing it. I'm just saying these people are humans and there's a subconscious element here. Right. And it's hard to go at 125 percent for 82 games. And I'm not saying that's the standard. I'm just saying to your point, like, I think. I think you're absolutely right that we get ourselves in these situations with the lackadaisical starts. And part of that is like LeBron and AD, I think, could do a better job of, of being more engaged from the jump. Yeah. And to my point about the 40K, it kind of feels like LeBron's playing a game within a game. He's playing his historical legacy game and like, yeah, let me just see if I can get a couple shots, get hot and get to 40,000 earlier. Oops, that didn't work. We're now down by 12. I better turn it up even more. So again, not this is not a rub on LeBron, not throwing shade at LeBron. As you mentioned, they are human. I'm just glad that he's about to hit this monumental milestone and that we can get back to, you know, playing more the right way. Um, why don't we take it to break here? When we return, let's talk about recent trends we like slash don't like and get into our first impressions of Spencer Dinwiddie, particularly Tommy's impressions since we haven't gotten them yet. So we will catch you guys after the turn. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc 
What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. All right, so we are back. Tommy, some quick fun stats for you. Um, did you know that the trio of LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and D'Angelo Russell have each scored 18-plus points in seven straight games? They have also each scored 20-plus points in six out of the last seven games, and they are the only Lakers trio in franchise history to score 20-plus points in five straight games, which is kind of incredible if you really think about it, considering D'Angelo Russell was coming off the bench in December, and now he is like... uh, in franchise history as like the third guy, legitimately the third guy. As it pertains to the LeBron James and D'Angelo Russell duo, did you know that on the season, they are the, they are the only teammate duo in the league averaging two plus three-pointers made per game and six plus assists per game? I did not know that. <laughs> I thought, sorry, Crazy, that right? Yeah. 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 That, that's that's kind of like LeBron and Kyrie type stuff. I'm sure they did it in Cleveland, but I don't know. Um, anyways, um, the LeBron James, Austin Reeves, D'Angelo Russell trio, Tommy, in the month of February, here are their averages. LeBron James, 27 points, 8.8 assists. D'Angelo Russell, 20 points, 7.5 assists. Austin Reeves, 17 points, 6.2 assists. This is the only trio in February, Tommy, to average 17-plus points and 6-plus assists. They all also shot 40-plus percent from three. That's kind of crazy. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so with that said, I wanted to start this, I don't know, maybe it'll be an ongoing segment here and there, but I wanted to start a segment called Trends You Like Slash Trends. Trends you like slash trends you don't like. It can be something as simple as, I don't like the way this guy has been screening lately. Or something as... I don't like that look on his face. (laughs) Exactly. Or something as monumental as, you know, oh man, I I really hate this three-guard lineup that Darvin Ham keeps putting out there. But yeah, um, as micro or macro as you want to get, give me one recent trend from a player or team schematic thing that you like and one that you don't like. So one thing that I guess I have liked, this is going to sound so sad, you alluded to this uh, in the beginning, just to give you a little teaser, Torian Prince has been playing fewer minutes. (laughs) And this is like, we're not a Torian Prince hate podcast. I actually think Torian Prince is a very, very good player. I think the way he's utilized on this team is completely wrong for the most part. I will say, all that being said, it does seem like the last couple of games... He, he's been utilized a little bit better. I mean, the Clippers have big wings, right? You view that as a game where maybe Tori, like Darwin is going to justify playing Torian more than Rui Hachimura. Look, Darwin's decision in that game, and I don't know if this was accidental or, <laughs> or what happened, but his decision to play Torian only 17 and play Cam and Rui both more is why we yeah. won that game. I mean, like, yeah. Cam was a huge part, right, of that run. In the fourth quarter, yeah. In the fourth quarter, and Rui was a huge part of capping off the run. So there was no need for Torian in that situation, right? And And we sometimes do this thing where it's like, it should be clear, if you need defense at that five position around your four best offensive players, I shouldn't say at that five position, at the open fifth spot next to your four best players, right? 
If you need defense, you go with Vando or Cam Radish. If you need offense, you go with Rui. Torian Prince is a deaf player, okay? He's just there for depth, and we don't need to be playing him 30 minutes a game. He played 17 minutes against the Clippers, you know, sort of similar thing against the the Wizards. He played only uh, also 17 minutes. If we can keep him below 20 minutes, that's a huge step in the right direction, not because Torian's bad, okay? I just want to make that very clear. It's because we have other guys who are good who should be getting those minutes because the whole point of this roster is, yeah, one through six, we're not arguing with anyone that we're better than the Celtics, right? One through six or one through four or you know whatever with their top four guys. That's not the point of this roster. The point of this roster is one through 10. We think we're better one through 10 than most other rosters. And this is the regular season and it's time to use your depth and it's not time to play Torian 30 minutes a night. So yep, I, I like that. I like that uh, trend for us. I like that trend a lot. Um, and yeah, outside of Torian Prince being a depth player, I feel like I don't think this is controversial, but I think he should be more of a situational player, AO. But um, one trend that I, I don't know why I said AO. It's not really that much of an AO. <laughs> but um, one trend that I do like is D'Angelo Russell's recent off-ball cutting. I feel like in the times where LeBron James and Anthony Davis have, has dominated the ball and the offense seems stagnant, D'Angelo Russell has tried to find ways to still remain productive and not just stand on the perimeter. You saw it last night, especially in the Wizards game. I think he had two clutch cuts to the basket where he just laid it in because the uh, defenders didn't see it coming at all, you know? And so I think D'Angelo Russell patrolling the paint in his sort of sly, slithery way has been very effective in making sure that the offense doesn't stay stuck in the mud when people are just ball watching LeBron James or AD. So Really like D'Lo's recent off-ball cutting. What's a recent trend that you don't like? A recent trend that I don't like has been just the overall defensive effort. I, you know, I talked about the the trend of double-digit wins leading into the All-Star break. And yeah, it wasn't against like the best competition in the league in all cases, but the effort was there. Um, it, now it sort of feels like what we're trying to do is like a higher-end version of what we tried to do with Russ last year. Like... When we weren't good, like we clearly didn't have the talent. So like we are our, our solution to overcoming that was just run teams out of the gym, like basically just sprint, like sprint, like defense is what it is. Hopefully they miss the shot and you get a rebound. And then we just sprint. Um, And, and so, you know, offensively, that's been fine for us overall. Like we're I, I, I prefer to see a little bit more organized offense. Um. But if it's been working, we're shooting over 50% most nights. Like, I think we're third in the league in field goal percentage overall. We're top half now in the league in three-point percentage. I think we're, like, 13th um, overall on the season. So it's like all the offensive numbers have been good, but it it's come at, like, the big expense of the defense. Now, I, I, I strongly, strongly acknowledge that Cam Reddish has been out for, like, the last, I don't know, month. Vando's been out for a long time. We haven't had Gabe Vincent all year. We've said it over and over and over. Those are our three best defenders. So what we what happens in these situations is like we end up with who's the defensive energy guy, right? Like in the starting backcourt, it's not going to be D'Lo and Reeves, especially you saw in the Wizards on the second night of a back-to-back. It's not going to be Spencer Dinwiddie. 
Max Christie is young and is still making like some silly mistakes. Um, I, LeBron, I don't know if you saw last night during the game, but there was a sequence of Max minutes where LeBron was like yelling at him the entire time <laughs> for like messing things up. So it's like those are just like he doesn't have the reps necessarily to like be there yet. Um, but these are the things that need to be cleaned up. And 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 really, I I'm a little bit still optimistic about this because. The way this team de- seems to engage defensively is they just need one guy to sort of ignite them. Without the whether igniter, it's Hayes or Reddish, whether or, it's yeah. Hayes or Reddish or Vando, and I think that's like the crazy thing in hindsight that I'm starting to realize is it's not like I mean obviously Vando is an elite defender, but it's just a matter of having one other guy who's a pretty elite defender off uh, next to AD on the perimeter who can create some havoc because once one guy does it, it feels like everybody else like amplifies yeah. their, their effort. Um, so I'm not like super, super concerned. I'm just saying like, I think we're, you know, notwithstanding how good we've been offensively in February. I think we were bottom five defensively in February. Um, and again, it, a lot of it is injuries, but, but the, the, a lot of that stuff has to be cleaned up um, because to win in the playoffs, we see it year after year. Teams will figure out how to shut you down. You have to be able to to shut them down. Yeah. Actually, the Lakers were 10th in defensive rating in February, believe it or not. But oh, I think your Maybe point... I'm thinking of the last 10 games or so. I saw some stat that was like... We oh, okay. But yeah, I think the first half of the Clippers game is very indicative of what you're saying, where the team just looked absolutely lifeless. And D'Angelo Russell, I don't know, he was not providing any resistance whatsoever. Um, but credit to Austin Reeves, because I feel like in the clutch, these last two games, he's turned back into the Austin Reeves that we remember from last season where he, I mean, he stopped, he's stopped Norman Powell. He was playing really physical, tough defense against pool last night. And even when he got switched on Kuzma and other, other players like that, um, and even D'Angelo Russell was way more active last night defensively in the second half. So to your point, these guys are capable of locking into another level of defensive intensity, but it kind of needs to come from, sadly, their offense, things clicking on offense, or another energy guy like Jackson Hayes or Cam Reddish to ignite them. Because once they see one of those guys get a strip, Tommy, and they get an easy bucket on the other end, they're all of a sudden reminded, oh yeah, we can score more if we get stops, you know? So it's a a trickle-down avalanche effect, uh, definitely. But a lot of that has been aided the last two games by LeBron James locking in. And obviously last night, Anthony Davis was absolutely tremendous on both ends of the floor. Um, The the last trend that I don't like, Tommy, is also a Torian Prince-related trend. And it is... And this is ironic because this was a skill of his that I heavily highlighted and promoted uh, in the offseason. But the trend that I don't like the most recently is Torian Prince attacking closeouts. (laughs) Please, Prince, stop putting the ball on the floor and driving into the paint like a drunkard because it is, man, it has been Russell Westbrook-esque. I know he's not this bad, but... Please, just I'd rather you just shoot the three, okay? I I know he has these capabilities, but it has gone off the rails so much more evidently these last few games. I don't know if he's pressing because all of a sudden he doesn't have 30 minutes to work with or not or whatnot, but it has been ugly. So please, Torian Prince, please stop drunk driving. Um Okay, so that'll do it for trends we like slash don't like. Uh, To close this episode, Tommy, let's talk about your initial impressions of Spencer Dinwiddie 
Um, last night especially, he had a really good game. He hit two threes, got an and one on one three, um, took it to the paint for one floater that he should have gotten an and one on. But most recently, he's done a really good job facilitating and playmaking. And that's one thing that he did from the outset, his first two games with the Lakers as well. Like, look, the stats don't look great in terms of the percentages. He's averaging six points on 37.5% from the field, 29% from three, hitting one a game. Uh, The free throws haven't really been there. He's barely averaging, he's not even averaging one free throw a game. Um, But I think last night was the first time that he actually went to the foul line (laughs) for like two free throws off a drive of his. But he is averaging 3.7 assists on 1.1 turnovers. And I think just having that extra ball handler to help out Austin Reeves and even D'Angelo Russell has been beneficial and last night and in the Clippers game we saw him actually start to take it to the rim and get some really nice lay-ins and finishes and if he's not scoring for himself he's been finding Anthony Davis for a lot finding Rui Hachimura for a lay-in so um, I feel like he's been a really good playmaker who's done a solid job of setting the table for the offense and kind of keep the operation going uh, I would just like to see him be continue to be more aggressive in putting his head down and attacking. So, yeah, what have your initial thoughts been on Spencer Dinwiddie? I've liked what I've seen so far. I mean, you said the percentages, uh, and they kind of are what they are at this point. It's it's like too early in the season. Or, sorry, too small of a sample size. Not too early in the season. Too early in his season with us. Um, He's only taking six shots a game, which is fine, by the way. He's only taking three threes a game, I think also fine. To your point, I think, you know, he's got enough usage. Like, he's getting us assists. The fact that he's averaging four assists, by the way, like, you know, just about, like, on one turnover with a brand new team, he he doesn't know the offense. What we're running is, like, can, can I, I don't know, maybe it's not that complicated. It appears to be chaotic at times. <laughs> so, you know, there's definitely going to be a learning curve. Um, I think the percentages will come. I mean, he's always been kind of an inconsistent perimeter shooter. I... I I hope his numbers trend more towards where they were with Dallas, where he was taking him, you know, taking his threes off of Luca as opposed to taking them off the dribble, which is most of his career with Brooklyn um, and with the Wizards. Um, so, you, you know, I I like I think the thing about Dinwiddie is we just really needed another depth option to put the ball on the ground as a secondary ball handler considering that we our three best ball handlers are all starters. And yeah, you can stagger those three guys, but you can only only stagger them so much. And so what was happening was absurd outcomes, right? Like you we would end up in second quarter rotations where you would just have LeBron as your point guard and the secondary ball handler uh, ball handler was like Max Christie, right? And that's not going to work. Um Always being able to have LeBron with at least, if not more than one other guard, at least one other guard on the floor with him is is key. Um, and Spencer unlocks that for us. Uh, you know, again, it, it, people talk about, oh, well, what's his attitude going to be like? He seems fine playing in his like limited bench role, like not getting his stats. Yeah. He's not forcing shots. He's not forced. He's not. Honestly, I feel like and I, force is the wrong word for what I'm about to say, but. I feel like he could be a little more assertive with his playmaking because he is such an effective playmaker. Um, it you know early just this season he's like a four to one assisted turnover ratio, averaging six, six assists a night. Right, so with the with the uh, Nets before he came to us. So mm-hmm. 
you know, he's got that part of his game that I I, I want to see him unlock more. I think the fouls, I think that's going to come uh, maybe a little bit more with uh, experience with this group. Once he figures out when is his time to attack, I think that's going to uh, unlock a little bit with him. And and hopefully Phil Handy and like the assistant coaches can like show him some film and, and show him like opportunities that he had. They seem to have done a pretty good job with like Rui and other guys on this kind of thing. So show him like opportunities where he can be more aggressive and can attack the rim a little bit more. It doesn't all have to be stand on the perimeter and take half your shots as threes. Like we got him to be an attacker too. Um, and he can use that aspect of his game as well. But overall, like, you know, this is exactly what you want. Somebody who's just going to come, he's clearly talented, but he's just going to come in and sort of fit in and not try to do too much. Yeah. If, if Spencer Dinwiddie is problematic, it's to no fault of his own. Like for me, he, if you want to verge on the side of, of this was unnecessary, I feel like he's problematic in the sense that he maybe duplicates a lot of the skill sets we already have with regards to primary initiating with LeBron, AR and D'Lo. And then when you add Spencer to the mix, you're kind of taking the ball and more usage away from one of those guys. And you could argue, well, why would you do that? But I think he's helped tide over the the Austin Reeves lineups where we've been seeing him paired with Austin Reeves and Anthony Davis. And it's it's run, those units have run a lot more smoother with Spencer Dinwiddie operating as the lead ball handler. And to your point, I am so surprised that he only has one turnover because reminder he he's never had a preseason with any of these guys you know it takes time to like learn your teammates and the fact that he's not throwing the ball all over the place he did have that first game or second game where he had four turnovers but you would expect that to continue to happen for at least the next few weeks right but so far he's done a really good job of picking his spots finding his teammates learning on the fly but not being too overly i don't know chaotic with it as you mentioned so yeah so far i think solid is is the best way to describe what spencer dinwiddie has brought and he's been getting a lot of really good looks from three they just haven't been going down although he hit two threes last night versus the wizards as we've mentioned before he is a 40 percent catch and shoot guy especially from the corner so i think that will naturally come around and i know people are probably bothered by those like leroy jenkins pull up threes that he takes to get like the two for ones but last night he actually hit it and got fouled for it but um, that's just part of Spencer Dinwiddie's game. You're going to have to live with it. And so far, it's not something that's so grating because, what, he's only playing like 19 to 24 minutes a night. So credit to Darwin for also not not like outsizing his role. Although I do find it interesting that last night for defensive substitutions, D'Lo was taken out, but it wasn't Cam Reddish, or I guess there's a reason why it wasn't Cam Reddish, but it wasn't Max Christie or Torian Prince who came in. It was Spencer Dinwiddie. Did you notice that? Yeah. For like defensive possession. So I don't know. Maybe there's still something to uh, realize and find out about with regards to Spencer Dinwiddie on the defensive end. So if he can continue to be a little scrappy, continue to fight for boards, and then be more aggressive with his own attacking downhill, I think we'll, we'll see his value more fully realized in the coming weeks. So... Yeah, that'll do it for this episode. Um, the Lakers take on the Denver Nuggets on Saturday. Tommy, they just got to win this game to get the monkey off their back, dude. Like, please. I think we've lost like seven straight games to the, the Denver Nuggets, and it's quickly turning into one of those 0-12 versus the Clippers things before yeah. this season. Well, so, Jamal Murray might be hurt, right? 
Yeah, he has like an ankle thing that he's dealing with. So we're at home. LeBron James is is gunning for 40K. Hopefully he gets it done really quickly and we can just win that game and continue to ride that momentum as we have the next few weeks in California and at Crypto.com Arena. So with that said, please follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please also rate and review us five stars on the Apple Podcast app. Give us five stars on Spotify. And you can also find us on the Cooler Podcast platform where you can start discussion threads, kind of like Reddit. Um, But yeah, with that said, Tommy, I will catch you later. Peace. See ya.